Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, shaping leaders among leaders. This has happened a couple times in a row now, man. I actually don't like it when this takes place, when we have a guest that is clearly more handsome than I am. Um, there is a little bit of anger that I feel. So like, why? So let's, you know what, man, before I even welcome you, can we say, why do you look like a better looking Jason Momoa? Like, can we say that? Or is that not an okay way to start? No, I think that's totally fine. Um you know, back in the day, Momoa was a was a lifeguard. I was a lifeguard. Uh, we're about the same age. I think we're pretty much from the same uh, lineage. He's Hawaiian. I'm half Filipino. But oh, uh, I don't know the difference. I'm a white guy. I don't know the difference between any of that stuff anyway. So we're good. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm half white, too. Right? I'm there you go. Half, right. half Polish. So I'm right there with you. that's awesome, man. Brother, thank you for being here. Truly. Yeah, I'm really, really. Uh, Really excited. I get I get excited about this every Friday, man. This is always the best part of my Friday outside of my family, you know, and and um it's just a little extra sometimes when it's like, man, I really love this this human and this story. And I'm just I'm really excited. I was telling these guys, I'm really excited to introduce you to them. I'm really excited for our podcast guests to hear you, but I'm also just excited for you knowing your background to meet these guys too. You know, it's a it's a two-way street, man. So um truly, truly grateful, man. Um You've got context, I think, for what we've got going on here. We've got these young guys from all over the world that are pouring into uh, to themselves, man, into real education, right? They're taking on projects and challenges and readings uh, and workouts to move themselves forward. They're building out their journey of, of becoming a leader. And we get to talk to all the best men on the planet every week, you know, in the process of that. Right. And so then it goes out to, uh, to our audience too, as a podcast. So what I love to, uh, to do with our guests, man, is I like to start with you at this age, you at 13, 14, 15, right. Are you the Kevin that's just got it all squared away? He's a lifeguard out on, you know, rocking the Bay watch. Everybody's in love with him and he's got it all figured out. Are you a complete knucklehead? Are you somewhere in between? Um, let's just dive into you for a little bit. And then these guys will ask all the really good questions. Sure thing. So if we're starting at age 13, 14, <clears throat> we're talking about me being in junior high school yes, sir. and it's an interesting year. It's an interesting phase of everyone's life because I should say men's life, because that's when we're hitting puberty, right? We know that the girls are hitting puberty younger than us. And I was more of a late bloomer. You know, when I was 13, 14, I was just getting tall. So I went from being the short pudgy kid and I had baby weight galore, right? Like I was being that short pudgy kid for so many years. I hit puberty and next thing you know, I'm 5'11", six feet tall, but my frame didn't build out. And I get it. Like I have a large head. That's, that's just who I am. But uh, when I was 13 or 14, I was about 175 pounds, whereas right now I'm about 215. And for most of my adult life, I've been between 195 and, and anywhere between 195 and 230 if I'm competing for jujitsu or you know training up for, for a course or whatever. Yeah. So at age 13 or 14, physically, I was just coming into my own learning like, okay, this is what it means to be an adult mm -hmm. as far as looking like an adult emotionally i was squared away because my my parents were there i came from a very very 
uh, religious family in terms of, you know, we went to mass every single Sunday with one another. We walked to church. I lived so close to my middle school, my grammar school, uh, my junior high. We walked to, to mass every single weekend as a, as a family. And then as far as like my plans, I was just discovering that I was actually a decent writer. And when I was 14, I had my first publication, which was a poem that I wrote when I was in the eighth grade come out. So I knew that I was creative and I'll ask the gentlemen that are, that are listening to really look at your creativity and never turn down the opportunity to flex that creativity, because that will be something that takes you further than people that are just used to answering questions with a simple check the box, a yes or a no. If you are more the type that is willing to engage in an open-ended question, that's another form of creativity. Or creativity could be in how you express yourself uh, with the way that you play sports or whatever. So always embrace that creativity. Age 13, 14, um, I, I was awkward. I mean, we all were awkward at that age. And I felt like it was a strange year because, you know, I wanted to drive. I wanted that independence. But I also knew that everything came with certain rites of passage and I had to learn to drive with my dad. Um, but it was actually really cool being linked to my dad, going fishing with him or relying on other people because then I wasn't so much a loner. And that's yet another important message to understand is that you guys can't go through life on your own. It is absolutely okay to lean on people who will inspire you and encourage you to be a better version of yourself. Mm, really good, man. A lot of really good stuff there. So even just starting there before we go any further in, in the journey, talking about leaning into that creativity, talking about leaning into that, um, you know, for you writing and understanding that that was, a, you know, something that you had there. Gaining self-awareness as we build out these schools, people ask, one of the favorite questions people ask, you know, is what's the curriculum? I'm always telling the curriculum is self-awareness and self-confidence. All the other stuff we do is coming down from that, right? So the self-awareness piece right there, where was that harness for you? Was that harness more from the parents? Was it harness more from the school you were going to? Was it just like you were just leaning into yourself? You were kind of wired that way? Like, how did you actually come to going, okay, this is a skill that I have that I need to maybe kind of cultivate practicality wise? Like, how did you see that? When I was younger, the first real driving force in my life was my father. And I want these, these men to understand that my father lived an extraordinary life. He's 84 years old to this day. Uh, unbelievable story. He grew up in the Philippines during the Japanese occupation and survived in the jungle in a cave from January 1942 until approximately August of 1945. So as a little kid, I always wanted to be in the great outdoors because we look up to our elders, we look up to people that inspire us. And my dad is the greatest inspiration of my life. So I always wanted to be outdoors. I grew up fishing, I grew up, you know, backpacking, and I grew up, you know, mountain biking. And I'll be honest, there was a phase in my life where I wasn't the cool kid in school. I got into an argument with a kid that I went to school with. And as a result, I kind of was the outcast. I wasn't invited over to certain parties and whatnot, which kind of pushed me into the outdoors. I found solace and I found peace going into the outdoors. And I really was inspired by going into the outdoors. And then I found when I went from that very small school, which my graduating class was 16, to a high school where my graduating class was 300 and the yeah. school was around 1100, I found new friends there. But I always held on to that connection to the great outdoors. So that self-awareness 
for me came from being inspired by greater people that came before me. And that is something that is so important to understand is that we tend to live in bubbles. We tend to live in the world of social media where it's all about me, 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 me. And whenever you follow people on social media, try to see if they're giving attribution to where they got their inspiration. Because there are many who are absorbed uh, just by themselves and they don't recognize who inspired them. So what I would encourage you guys to do is when you meet with someone or you hear someone speak who inspires you, do more research on them. Find out how they were, just like uh, what we're doing today. Find out what they were like at your age, mm -hmm. but just do not try to copy them one step, you know, lockstep every single way mm -hmm. because everyone has a different life experience. And your life experience, you might be missing out on something so incredible because you're like, well, that's not the way that Kevin did it. Right. You really need to to understand you know, maybe my experience colors how you're going to live your life, but you shouldn't try to become just like me. If anything, I want you to become a better version of me right. or become a better version of yourself. Uh, so good, man. And I, the, uh, you know, the hero stories part, and again, both of us being um, really career educators, right? The, that hero story part is so critical, man. It's something we talk about, you know, incessantly is that, um, there's been this leaning a little bit, uh, we can still find it, but there's this leaning a little bit to, uh, the victim mentality and putting that on a pedestal. And if I can be the most oppressed of anybody today, then I'm going to win and, and whatever that looks like, right. We're really, I think there's, we need to have this shift back to those hero stories. Great literature is great literature because you have these hero stories that you put yourself in the shoes of the protagonist and you've got to make these decisions and you come away and you're like, Ooh, I want to be better. I want to be a better human. Right. And, and, and those stories, whether it's in literature, whether it's in movies, whether it's in conversations like this, whether it's you finding it on social media, whether you're finding it with your father who's lived a fascinating life before you, young men looking to heroes and using it, I love the way you said it, to just color their own journey, but not be something that we try to go lockstep. Man, I think that is so important. It's exactly what we're trying to do here. I think you articulated it super well. Um, so, I mean, your father, that that alone is is, is absolutely fascinating. So, um, but I want to take the next step in your, in your journey. So it sounds like school, everything was probably relatively good. You had a great family home. Like that was, that's phenomenal. So then were you of the mindset of like, okay, well, then I think what everybody does after we get done with high school time for college, right? Like that's where to go next, right? Is that, and I know that's how it was on our side. Was that how it was for you as well? It, it was, and I'll tell you a, a story of struggle, uh, something that, you know, people may not, may not know about me. So I, my background is history and English. I am absolutely the writer. I'm the, the critical analysis guy. I'm someone who enjoys discussion, debate, argument, and so forth. But when it comes to math, I am not the greatest mathematician. And when I was in high school, it, it was an almost it was undeniable I was going to college afterwards. I wanted to go to college because, you know, with me and with my family, honor goes a long way. And you have to honor your mother and father. And my father was like, please go to college. And my dad went to a Jesuit school. So I went to a Jesuit school, but I almost didn't get in there because of my math. When I left middle school, I was not in a pre-algebra. When I left middle school, I was not in a pre-algebra track. So when I went to high school, they put me in algebra and I almost failed out my freshman year of that math class. So they quickly switched me to a pre-algebra class. Afterwards, I did fine. 
sophomore year was geometry. I actually did geometry really well. And then junior year, they're like, well, we don't have a class that you should really sign up for other than like this applied math, which was basic mathematician, uh, mathematics. Senior year comes around, I'm ready to apply for college. And they say, you cannot apply for our college because you don't have algebra and algebra two. So my senior year and me going off to college was contingent upon me passing algebra one and algebra two simultaneously, mm. which that almost didn't happen. I passed algebra with an A, I passed algebra two, I think with like a C minus or a C. Yeah. And then I got into a, a college. So I go to college, I, I study, you know, uh, American studies, which was interdisciplinary uh, history and English. And then my senior year is 9-11. And I was planning on going off to law school because that was what I wanted to do. I was, I loved the law. I loved constitutional history. 9-11 happens and I am attending a school which is less than 50 miles as the crow flies from New York City. So we saw plumes of smoke at night and we all embraced each other on the beach. We gave blood for the first time on 9-11. And that year I was really left with, am I going to enforce the law, uphold the law? Am I going to interpret the law? And I didn't have my mind made up. So I contemplated going to law enforcement. I contemplated continuing on my path to, to law school, but I needed to just hold off. So I went to grad school. And while I was in grad school, I became a teacher and I taught high school history for 14 years after falling in love with teaching. But that being said, I'll say that some of the greatest lessons that I was ever able to teach my students were not curriculum because the curriculum was very defined. You will teach this. This is the standardized test that will follow. The greatest lesson is when a student reached out to me after class and said, hey, Mr. Estella, you talked about the Mongols. Is there any book that you'd recommend me reading? And I would give a recommendation or, hey, you talked about, you know, the, the Spanish Inquisition. I find that really interesting. And being able to take that little bit of a spark that that student would bring me and tell them, this is how you build that spark into a flame. Mm -hmm. And if I give you a little bit of knowledge, then your flame gets a little bit bigger until it becomes this inferno where maybe it sends you on a different path. And the, some of my greatest former students became professionals based on conversations that I had with them. So what I'll encourage you guys to do is if you are ever in the presence of someone who inspires you or in the presence of someone who has a story to tell, or if you're ever in the presence of someone who does something interesting, ask them an additional question than what they're expecting you to ask them. And you never know what that little bit of investment and energy and time will bring you in return. So good, man. So good. And gosh, so many parallels. My senior, my senior year of college, 9-11. So what did I do? Same thing. I was kicking around. Okay, what does it look like? Do I go to the military? Do I go to law enforcement? Whatever. And that's what brought me down the rabbit hole of going secret service and you know, going through that whole that whole process. Um, my my senior year, ultimately turning that down to go into what ultimately ended up being education. So a lot of parallels on that. Um, but the practicality of what you just said right there is huge. So as you're going in, you are one of those, you know, and again, I'm very vocal about my um, thoughts around the system in general of, of what it looks like now for schooling. But I I'm also try to be very clear that I don't want it's look, that's not going away. And I want really, really good humans there. I want really good humans who have that mindset of coming in and being the chief inspiration in that classroom 
for those young people, believing in the young people and inspiring them to do what you, you know, what you were saying is like, let's, let's have that further conversation as you were in that system and, and being that inspiration for so many young people who, from what I know about you, I would say they're very lucky to have had you in those 14 years. What kept you inspired while you were working in that? Whether there were handcuffs around the schools or not, whatever it is, like what kept you inspired to go forward? And who were you looking to maybe as your inspiration while you were there working in that system? So the inspiration really comes down to, you know, what what motivated me. And, you know, when people go into public education, they don't go into public education to make money. It's it's not a high paying job. And there's a big joke in public education that the best three things about public ed is June, July and August. Right. That teachers have the summers off. Sure. But quite honestly, I found that I fell in love with the learning process and I was taught at a very young age, be a student for life. My dad taught me to be a student for life. To this day, my dad is constantly reading language books so he can learn additional languages. He speaks about six languages and about five of those fluently. And he first learned how to speak English by reading comic books. So when I was a teacher, I loved the idea that I could set these kids on the correct path as being critical thinkers and an important message since words matter mm-hmm. important message is the idea that your teachers should teach you how to think not what mm-hmm. to think and i would encourage my students if i said something in the class i would say challenge me mm-hmm. please ask me questions make sure that i'm not lying to you make sure that i'm a credible source and in addition if i ever don't know something make sure that I am held accountable because accountability is another word that matters when it comes to education, because no matter what I teach you, it plants the seed. And there are some bells that you cannot unring. Mm -hmm. So I fell in love when I would hear students say, I get it now because I knew that I made a difference. It wasn't about the paycheck. It wasn't about the time off. I really loved it when my students would come in the room and they were dialed in. They knew that I was there You know, in public education, these are one of the biggest problems right now, and it's cell phones. And students wanted to use their phones, and our rule was this. Students are going to put their phones in the front of the room, and there were a lot of teachers. Get this. There were a lot of teachers that during the class, they'd be here on their phones typing away. I made it a rule. I said, guys, and I said this every single class. I'm like, guys, I'm putting my phone up here. I'm investing my time in you. Understand this is the only place I am right now up here. And I am physically, I need you to be the same. And I will never ask you to do something that I would not do myself. Mm. And phones were never an issue in my class. Be very leery of instructors that say, do as I say, not as I do. And also instructors who are very quick to tell you, this is the only way. Mm. There's no such thing as one way. There are many ways. Find the way that works for you. Find the best way. Because every one of you is different. Gosh, that's gentlemen, what you're listening to and, and parents as you're listening to this, you know, in, in podcast form and you're listening to part of the differences between a teacher and an educator, right? I can, I can teach almost anybody to be a teacher because it is, look, here is the list of rules. Here are the boxes to check and we're going to show you how to do this. And then in the process, you're going to quote unquote manage behaviors while you get, you know, this, this information out there, right? 
the educator does the opposite. The educator goes, I'm going to be the tip of the spear. The educator goes, I am going to lead by example first. The educator goes, here is what I believe to be true. But if you believe something else, let's have a great conversation around this. Let's all be brave enough to say, here's where we agree. Here's where we disagree. And then crazy enough to go ahead and change our mind when better evidence is presented for something else, right? Like that's what education is. And you actually have to care about the humans in order to allow that to happen, right? You got to care about the humans enough to put an ego go down to go, look, I'm going to be right about a lot of things. I'm going to be wrong about a lot of things. This is a, an infinite game of education. It's an infinite game that we're playing in a finite time. So let's just come together and see if we can just play this game better. Right. So I appreciate that so dang much, man. So why then are you not still in the classroom? And I don't say that to in a challenging fashion because I know what you do now and you are still very much an educator very much. Um, you still care to the same level. You still challenge, you still bring so much value to the world in the exact same way. So it's not challenging. Like, well, why'd you leave if it was so good? It's just, what was the impetus? In 2019, I received a phone call from, from Mike Glover, Mike Glover being the CEO of, of Fieldcraft Survival. Yep. And Mike had read my book. And at the time, Mike looked over at his girlfriend and was like, this is the guy. This is the guy who I want to run the survival side of my company because he teaches the primitive skills through the modern, but he also is purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Sayak Kali, associate level six instructor, like student of firearms, right? Like I, I, do, I do a little bit of it all. So Mike podcasts me and next thing you know, in June, uh, June 30th of 2020, I get a text message from him and he says, have you ever thought about teaching survival skills full time? And I said, well, Mike, I run my company. I had a side business at the time where I was teaching courses, writing magazine articles, writing my book, doing guest speaking, podcasts, whatnot. I'm like, but I'm a teacher. He goes, well, what if I were to offer you, you know, XYZ, move you out to Utah? Let me know what you think. So I reached out to people. I didn't make this decision unilaterally. I reached out to mentors, to good friends. And I said, what do you think? Keep in mind that time of year, we were only a few months into COVID. Sir. We all already were told we're doing distance learning or hybrid learning when we get back. And I saw the distance hybrid learning format as a disservice to students when I knew that students weren't paying attention. I knew that they had their cameras on their laptops tilted up so they could play with their phones. Because watch, here are my hands, here are my hands on a phone. I'm looking at my phone, but it looks like I'm actually paying attention. And I was really frustrated with the lack of care that the school system was was placing on these kids education when teachers many of us were willing to go back in front of the classroom yep. and they wouldn't let us yep. so i went out that summer i taught one week with fieldcraft survival and before i left arizona at the time that's where the company was located i got a negative covid test i flew back and i said hey here's my negative covid test i'm ready to teach and they said you've been in a high transmission state for a week you have to quarantine for two weeks and i said I want to be in my classroom, I'm negative, and they wouldn't let me. And there's something that is really, really discouraging, disheartening when you are trying to be part of a solution and you're being told instead, you're viewed as a risk, you're viewed as a liability, you're viewed as part of the problem. And it's like, I'm trying to do something to improve the lives of kids more so than a worksheet. Mm -hmm. Because think about this expression, think about this idea. When you think back to your greatest teachers, whether it is in a program now or 10 years ago or whenever, 
do you remember any assignment that they gave you a worksheet or do you remember that teacher do you remember a piece of paper or do you remember a personality so i left teaching because i had an opportunity and i wrote a one-page letter to my students when i decided to leave and i said guys this is a true lesson in push versus pull factors in life there were reasons to leave teaching but i was drawn elsewhere to continue my dream of educating continue my passion which is such an important word to understand is passion passion for the outdoors passion for teaching i said guys this is not about you you will always be my students there's always that connection there but i need to move on good for you sir good for you and there's a lot of respect in a lot of ways one the, the understanding of that push versus pull and, and getting like one of the questions i don't love for young people is well, what do you want to be when you grow up man mm -hmm. i'm 40 i'm 43 right now my life looks vastly different than it did two years ago because i'm just continuing to move forward i don't know what five years from now ten years from now is going to look like there's circumstances outside my control i'm going to continue to try to grow be a better version bring more alignment between who I think I am and what I think genius I can bring to the world and, and then what other skills I can master and who I can partner with. There's so many unknowns in this, but I've got to be willing to step forward in that. You were willing to do that. Um, and you're willing to uh, take a stand on something that was clearly, you know, you and I both know a lot of teachers who face that particular moment and just went, well, I guess I just have to do it because, right? And follow the excuse or whatever it is right there. You were willing to stand up for what you saw was right by the young people, even if that meant not being right there with those young people. Um, so a lot of respect on that. Um, I want to dive into a little bit to what you're doing now before we open up questions. But gentlemen, as you guys are hearing this, um, and and I know we got some of our dads on here too, and I'll go ahead and open it up to you guys too, man. If you guys have questions and things that are coming to mind, go ahead and do me a favor, start putting your hands up. Um, and, uh, and I'll start bringing you guys in, in the mix. So again, dads, it's okay. Throw your hands up on there too. Um, so you go in, you start working with Mr. Glover and these guys, you know, many of these guys got to meet Mike, uh, who, who's come on the show and, and, uh, poured into these young guys. And, um, I'm going to get to see Mike here in a couple, I think two weeks, two weeks from today. Um, I'll be flying out and I think we're going to do dinner out there and Connor Boyick and a couple other good, good folks. And we're going to speak out of Fieldcraft um they're on the 30th man so i'm looking forward to it so what are you doing with fieldcraft right now let's tell everybody um what that kind of day-to-day -day process looks like what are the things you're building out what are the courses you're teaching like what do you get to do now so currently at fieldcraft <clears throat> i wear a lot of different hats uh i'm sitting right now in our podcast studio i'm the podcast host for fieldcraft survival and you know the next podcast that comes out will be my 100th released podcasts that I've done for the company. So Congrats. that's, thank you. That That's just one of the, the aspects of the job is I have to do that type of media, but I'm continuing to be a writer and I write our blog and I haven't counted how many blogs I've written, but I'm sure that's pretty up there as well. Yeah. Um, so I blog for the company, I podcast for the company, but really what I'm known for at the company is teaching skills, doing the knowledge transfer. And I get to share modern survival skills, primitive skills, uh, defensive shotgun, uh, skills. I get to do all of these with the company. So I'm currently here in North Carolina in Aberdeen, and I run our, our North Carolina office. So here is where we, we do a lot of different training. We do a lot of different media. We do a lot of face-to-face -face with customers and, and students and whatnot. But if I were to say that I do the same job every single day at the company, I would be lying to you because we are such a dynamic company where one week I might be out in Utah teaching in the desert in 110 degrees. 
the next week I might be in the Pacific Northwest where they get over 50 inches of rainfall uh, annually. The mm. week following, I might be in front of a camera. This past Wednesday, for let me give you an idea of the past week, right? A week ago today, I was driving up to New Hampshire to teach a sold-out class at the Sig Sauer Academy. I had 20 students there. Then I went back to Connecticut, spent time with my dad, which is so incredibly important, that reset, good family time. Then I got back, and on Tuesday, I flew out to Houston, Texas to be on a podcast with Chad Robichaud uh, about the current state of affairs, things that are happening in the world, how do you can stay uh, very ready which is a key word that everyone should remember, how to stay ready. Um, and now I'm prepping for another class. I have 14 students that are going to be here tomorrow, and I'll teach them for about eight hours. And everyone should be ready to go because I'm not going to stop teaching. And students know that I'll stay until six or seven at night if I have to. So every single day is different at the company. Um, tweeting, <laughs> posting to Instagram, podcasting, blogging, doing courses, um, you name it. We, we do it all. That's awesome, man. Well, you're doing it all too. I mean, you're in the mix of all that stuff, man. So that's, that's freaking awesome. Any regrets on that? And I won't tell Mike, but any, yeah, any, any regrets on that? You know, I won't say it's a regret, but I will say, you know, I would be dishonest if I said that I don't miss teaching and sure. it's not the curriculum side. It's sure. the regular interaction where you get to see kids grow, young men and women grow from August or September through June. Hmm. I miss that. I miss getting letters from students that said, you know, my dad was not a positive male role model because he suffered from substance abuse and I watched him wheeled out of our house. You are the only adult male role model that I have. Mm. I miss that. Yes, sir. I don't miss the bureaucracy. I don't miss the nonsense. I yes, don't sir. miss the, the hybrid aspect. But there is no doubt that when you become an educator, a teacher, whatever word you decide to use, a mentor, you are invested in every aspect of that kid's life. And you have to understand that when they come to class, they might not have food. And I used to have a snack jar in my closet. And when they come to class, I would start every single class. First five minutes, I'd say, guys, tell me something good. I don't care if, if it's a funny joke you heard. Guess what? There's mm -hmm. no such thing as bad jokes as long as we all laugh at it. There's no such thing as, you know, hey, I like this movie or I like my sports team. I don't like yours. We would always start off on a positive note. In every single class, I would leave students with a tip of the day. Something like you can use dental floss to cut a birthday cake. And kids were like, what? I'm going to try that this weekend. So I miss that routine. Yeah. But I don't miss the other aspects of my job. But at the same time, I can still experience that, which is a different audience today. For sure. And I have no doubt you're going to be, you know, it's going to be the same thing. You're going to get letters and you're going to get people that you've impacted in your courses. And I mean, that's going to continue and you're going to continue to get things from those. I know you do, you know, I know you get letters from those young heroes that you touched a long time ago. I remember I got a birth announcement last week, you know, and somebody's like, Hey, Mr. B, you know, just wanted to tell you I'm having a baby. I'm like, you're 12. What are you They're like? I'm like, Oh, wait, <laughs> you're 31. Never mind. All right, cool. I guess that's fine. I guess that's good. Yep. We're all set. So no, that's awesome man i love that Let's take a couple questions here tate go ahead sir thank you sir for coming on the call today i plan My to pleasure. be i plan to be a film director and screenwriter and you mentioned that um that you're like super into writing and you're like you love to write and being a screenwriter is like it's you write scripts and being a good writer makes you very valuable in the film industry so even though you're not a filmmaker, but as a writer perspective, what is the best writer's advice you can give? So <clears throat> there's a lot of information I can give you about writing. Um, first thing, be open to criticism. 
whenever you write, you are putting the embodiment of your soul, your mind, your intellect on a piece of paper. And it's so easy for someone to go in and red pen, but you have to see that red pen as helpful criticism rather than an attack. You know, believe it or not, there are some school systems that say like, we should get rid of red pens because red is associated with blood and it's scary. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we are not weaklings. Let's be strong. Let's see that red pen as strength, not anything else. So I would say be open to, to criticism because it's probably there to help you. The second thing is learn to write in multiple formats because again, you're tapping into that creativity. One of the most profound influences of my life was my junior year creative writing teacher, Mrs. Dickow. She made us write everything from uh, uh, haikus to short stories. One of my favorite lessons of all time was go into your classified ad of your newspaper, find a classified ad and write a story about that classified with background and, and, and take that story and extend it. Challenge yourself so you don't get locked into a single type of type of writing. And then the other thing is you can access screenwriting samples of scripts from Hollywood directors now. I mean, there are so many social media pages that show how the script was written versus how it was portrayed by the actors. And understand that how you say something or how you, how you write something may be interpreted differently by yet a different professional. So recognize that all of you are part of a team that is trying to promote a story and the writer presents the big ideas. The actor presents that supplemental information, or I should say the actor or the actress presents a supplemental information that, again, takes your script and makes it something incredible. Like, look at the original Star Wars movie. When Han Solo was dropped down into that pit to be put into the carbonite, that quote where he said, you know, he's responding to Princess Leia, I love you. And he goes, I know, unscripted. So recognize that you're producing something that might be elaborated on, but don't take that as an attack. Take it as someone saying, you're giving me the tools to do my job really well, and you'll be credited eventually down the line. The last thing I'll say about writing is if you find a type of script that you really type, that, a type of script that you really like, try to figure out how to break it down, what you like about it. Because whenever you write, you tend to either write where you're following multiple story arcs. And everyone wants to, to use technology, but I'm a big fan of taking post-it notes and putting post-it notes up where if I'm trying to present a story arc, I want to visualize my story arc. Um, some people, when they, they write a script or some people, when they're telling a story, they'll actually lay things out on the ground and they can visualize it because that's how they, they keep track of all these different details. Um, take your time and recognize that there might be the process of multiple revisions whenever you're writing a script. And your first one is usually not the best one. Um, even though deep down in your heart, you're like, this is it, I got it. Um, the best advice is show it to people who you trust, who will actually read it instead of, oh yeah, I read it. And then they hand it back to you. Give it to people who really, really care. Um, and they'll, they'll help you along your way. Mm. Thank you, sir. That was awesome. I'll definitely apply that. My pleasure. Good luck. That's awesome, man. Who who are your favorite writers, Kevin? Oh my gosh. Um, Christopher Nolan, I think, tells a story like no other Hollywood director. Yeah. Um, I like Christopher Nolan as a, as a director. I like the stories that he presents. I think character development, if you want to see uh, like the picture perfect story, look at uh, The Dark Knight, the second installment of mm -hmm. the Batman series. Mm -hmm. I mean, he tells the hero story. He tells the villain story. He, mm -hmm. he ties it all together with that one so well. 
Um, cinematography wise, I mean, I think Michael Mann, who did Collateral, who did Heat, I think Michael Mann, uh, he did Ronin, I believe. He's amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of those two, for sure. So good, man. Name just name some of the best right there. Tate, go ahead, sir. Thank you, sir, for answering my question. Um, I'd come up with two questions that I wanted to ask you. One, you'd already kind of answered it with your dad, but what are your, who are your greatest teachers that have been through your life? Well, well, thank you for asking that one. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, you use the word teacher, and I could use the word teacher to describe these two other influences in my life, but I really need to use the word friend and mentor. Right. So it's it's strange for me to say that I've had multiple mentors, but that's not such a strange thing. I mean, most people will say that they have one. I've been lucky to have three. I call them the guiding stars of my life. Right. So my father was definitely one of my greatest mentors, one of my greatest teachers, because my father was just inspirational. He came to this country in 1965 with $11 in his pocket. He became a doctor. He put three kids through school. He bought multiple homes. Uh, he was married to my mother for 54 years. Um, the most dedicated, devoting husband you can imagine, right? Inspiration. In 2006, I met a good friend of mine, Marty Simon. Marty was a Vietnam veteran. He was the owner and the lead, or I should say the owner and the chief instructor of the Wilderness Learning Center. And that was in upstate New York. Now, Marty was a full-time military survival instructor. And when he retired, he became a full-time civilian and survival instructor, foremost plant expert. And Marty and I clicked immediately when I met him and his wife in North Carolina in 2006. I said, I need to train with this guy. And I was in the process of formalizing my outdoor education, going to the main primitive skills school, Jack Mountain Bushcraft and so forth. But Marty and I hit it off right away. And Marty really took my outdoor skill set to the next level, gave me the opportunity to become an instructor under him. And for a year, right, a year, he was, we would go camping, him, his wife, all of our friends, and he was testing me along the way. And one class the following year, he said, all right, here's everyone in the class, introduce yourself. And then he goes, and by the way, that's Kevin. He's my new instructor. And I was not expecting that. And I was not going to say no, because there are some people in your life you do not say no to. When they tell you something, you have to trust them. And I wasn't ready. I didn't feel in my heart I was ready, but Marty knew I was ready and he elevated me. And that's what good people will do to you. They will elevate you. So Marty was a great inspiration in 2006. And I stayed friends with him up until his passing until two, in 2020. Chris Syok. I met in 2009. I started training Filipino martial arts in September of 2008. Um, Chris, I'm sorry, 2007. Uh, started training Filipino martial arts in 2007. Chris Syak became a good friend of mine when I went to my first instructor ranking weekend. And Chris Syak, he's the one that taught me the readiness formula of awareness, preparedness, and willingness to truly say that you are ready. Chris Syak is the one that taught me fight math, right? The idea of force, timing, and space those are the three elements that exist in any conflict in all conflicts. But Chris Iak was also one who I found out had a very unique connection to my father. Because when my father was in the Philippines as a medical intern, he actually interned under Chris Iak's grandfather. And we did not make this connection until 2010, 2011, when he said, I knew your dad, he was best friends with my brother. And we realized that there are these things that we can't explain in this world, in this universe, where families might be traveling 
parallel paths and every so often they intersect and then they disappear. Well, our two families were connected in the middle of the 20th century and now they're connected again through my actions. So Chris Syok passed away and as a Syok instructor, I get to share the message that he shared with me and my formula, my method of teaching is, is his method. So when people say, who are my inspirations, my guiding stars, my greatest teachers, my father, Marty Simon, and Chris Syok. That's awesome. Thank you for answering that question. And then I also had my other question. You said you're half Polish, right? I am. And that your father had learned from, like he learned English from comic books. And I was wondering if you speak any languages because your father also speaks languages. See, see, puedo hablar español un poquito. I'm currently practicing more and more Spanish. Um, it was something that I studied when I was in middle school. And I studied it in high school and I took two years of it in, or two semesters of it in college. But then I let it fall by the wayside. And I've used Spanish in travel. Like I can I can uh, understand it better than I can speak it. Um, and I always have to say, repeat in por favor, más despacio, right? Like repeat, in, repeat it a little bit slower. Um, but I can understand it better then I can speak it. But now I'm in the process of learning conversational Spanish, learning the phrases, learning uh, different expressions that go a long way. And that is an interest that my dad told me that someday I would pick up a Spanish book again. And I have one of his phrase books currently at my, my house right now. And I have on Audible for when I do long road trips, Spanish books. So when people tell you that, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, well, I disagree because I'm finding that while it was a chore when I was younger, I am really enjoying it now as an adult. And I'm finding that I use it regularly in my travels. Like I was in the Salt Lake City Airport a couple months ago and someone was asking me, how do they get to you know, the exit? And I was able to tell them that you have to go through the tunnel and you have to go look up on the left-hand side, you know, that type of thing. So I don't speak any additional languages other than English. I speak broken Spanish, uh, but I have a feeling that once I learn Spanish, I will probably pick up Portuguese because my girlfriend is Brazilian and I will most likely pick up Portuguese after that. And what's interesting, no one wants to admit this, by the way, because when you're young, when I was 13, I was like, I'm not going to be like my dad in some ways. <laughs> I'm realizing that I am slowly becoming like my dad in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I know that this, this forehead is going to get larger. And uh, I'll tell you that my dad, you know, he does the best damn comb over you can possibly imagine, but I will never comb over my hair. I'll, I'll just simply let it fly. <laughs> Got to draw the line somewhere. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Tate? Thank you. I'm currently learning um, French and Russian at the Excellent. same time. So <laughs> good for you. Well Thank done. you for answering my question. Well, certainly. Comprendo más que hablo también, pero comprendo. Uh, that's awesome, man. And I love the, I love the crossover there with the, with the family crossover, man. So stories like that are, are, um, there's something special about those. Speaking of special, Mr. Zork, you're up, sir. I don't know about special. Are we all good in audio and everything? Yes, sir. We've got you. Awesome. I apologize. I'm quite literally in the loft of the sanctuary right now. So I had to move around a lot. So I apologize for that, but Nevertheless, thank you, sir, for coming on the call today. I really appreciate your time. I am curious, because uh, this is something that I've been particularly struggling with recently. I'm curious if you've ever set any big goals, and then along the way, you lose motivation for those goals, but you still want to accomplish those goals. So I'm curious how you stay motivated to accomplish your uh, 
far, like not far out, but your, your long-term goals. I'm curious how you stay uh, motivated to accomplish those. Here's the first thing I'll tell you about long-term goals. They're investments that you will not see the payoff for many, many years. You know, for you guys in an education program, it's very easy to say this assignment does not matter. This project does not matter. This homework doesn't matter, whatever, and say, well, I'll just take a zero on it because it's only a percentage of whatever. But keep in mind that we are we are what we repeatedly do. Okay, we are what we repeatedly do. And it's very easy to build momentum one way or the other way in our life. When we teach survival skills, we talk about building little victories. So let's say that you can't build a shelter, but maybe you can build a fire and by the fire, you're able to set up some traps or I should say carve some traps. Well, you can take control of some aspect of your life. You can build fire and you can you can carve figure four traps or pyote deadfalls or whatever it may be. Well, you are building momentum instead of letting that negative aspect of not being able to build a shelter create a larger, larger problem for you. So we're human. We are going to set many goals. And by the way, if you are only setting goals in your life that you can attain and goals that are not reaches, you are not reaching far enough. Okay. So think about that one. When I was a teacher, at one point, I thought I was going to become a school administrator. I got all the way through the program with the exception of one class and an internship that was about 30 hours. Well, I was driving back from Ohio and I realized I didn't want it anymore. I called my parents and I said, mom, dad, I know you thought I was going to be a principal someday. I don't want it. I don't believe in this anymore. It's very, very easy for you to set goals that you feel like you have to accomplish because you're going to let everyone down. But what happens if you achieve that goal and you realize I don't want it anymore? There's a temptation of, you know, accomplishing everything, well, maybe not everything needs to be accomplished. Maybe instead of uh, continuing on that very linear path towards that goal, you find something else along the way. Well, along the way, I stopped coaching track and field. I didn't pursue the career as an administrator and I started my own company. And that brought me so much satisfaction to be my own boss, to be able to teach where I wanted to teach, you know, to be the face of my company and so forth. So the motivation aspect, it's easy to lose motivation, but you also need to think about what do you have to be thankful for that you should still recognize. My dad taught me when I was a little boy. He said, you know what? I remember I was five years old. We were driving up to Toys R Us. And I was going to get a GI Joe. And I was complaining that we had to stop. Uh, and my dad had to go into uh, a nursing care center that he was the medical director of. And I was complaining, oh, we have to stop. We have to stop. And my dad looked at me and said, you know, son, he goes, when I was your age, I had to make my toys. We didn't have money. I had to make my toys. Now, I remember being five years old and becoming aware that I was very lucky to be where I was. And my dad continued that expression. He said, I want you to wake up every morning. And if you can see the ceiling, be thankful that you can see. And if you can get out of bed, be thankful that you can walk and realize that there are people that would kill to be in your position. So my dad taught me at a very young age to be humble and to be proud of what you have and to be thankful. So when you lose this motivation or you feel like you're starting to lose this motivation, take a step back and observe what you do have, okay? Mm -hmm. Maybe you were trying to, to accomplish something, but along the way, you discovered something else. Mm -hmm. Maybe you didn't succeed, okay? Don't use the word failure because whenever someone uses the word failure, I say, it's only a failure if you didn't learn. So you either win, succeed, or you learn, right? Win or succeed, or you learn. Um, Think about if you didn't succeed, what did you come away stronger for? And keep that in mind too. Like 
everything that doesn't defeat you makes you stronger. And whenever you have the opportunity to embrace strength and become stronger, take that chance. Jiu-jitsu, perfect example. And I know I'm rambling. I've, I've been drinking a lot of coffee. Um, when it comes to jujitsu, right? You know how many times I've been tapped out as a purple belt? A lot. So when someone tells you like, oh, I don't tap, they're lying to you. Because when you tap, you learn something. And maybe you, you talk to your coach and you say, hey, how did you get me? You learn something new. So don't be afraid to not succeed. Just make sure that if you don't succeed, you learn something in the process. Really good. Thank you, sir. That was a fantastic answer. I can use like every point that you gave me to help me in my own journey. So I appreciate that. I'm glad. Thank you. It's awesome. No, that was, that was great stuff. Samsung, you're up, sir. Alrighty. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you. Yep. All righty. So I was just wondering, whenever you found these guiding stars in your life, were you seeking them or were they just mm. stumbled upon? Mm. All right. Well, I'll say this. There will be people in your life who you will seek out. Now, I wasn't looking for an outdoor mentor because I did not know that I would need an outdoor mentor. And if anything, within the survival space, there are a lot of survival companies where they want the students to look like carbon copies of the lead instructor. And I wasn't going to do that because I was like, look, my dad taught me a lot of these skills. If anything, I want to be like my dad. So I wasn't looking for this mentor, but I sat in on a seminar that he taught in North Carolina where everything just clicked. And I was like, you know what? He's teaching primitive skills, but he's applying it to the modern world. And he's talking about universal concepts. You see, in the survival community, you have military guys that only see the world through military lenses. Mm. You have primitive guys that only see the world through the primitive lens, and they don't want to use modern technology. And meanwhile, I was like, why don't we take the best of everything and create the best answer. And that's what I was going for. And here's this guy who just, his message resonated with me. So I was not expecting it, but when I found it, I followed it. And then as far as my, my other mentor, Chris Syok, in my late twenties, I was like, you know, I did martial arts as a kid. I did Kenpo karate and in college I did Taekwondo. And I was like, I need to find something that taps into my roots as a half Filipino. So I found a martial arts school that just happened to be in my hometown. And I go there and I meet these instructors and I eventually work my way up the ranks. And I had no idea when I joined SIOC that that would become so influential in my life. Because when we look at a person, we either track them physically. Like if I were to say, hey, someone moves like the Hulk or someone moves like Spider-Man. Well, we can track movement and you might be drawn to movement. I mean, you might even be attracted to a female based on how she moves. Seriously. But you also track intellect. And some people hide their intellect behind movement where you might see them and what draws you to them initially is how they move. And I was like, man, they, they can swing sticks and blades and whatnot. But when I got into SIOC and I realized that it was formula driven, when I realized that these formulas were universal and they could be applied from, you know, the training center to the world, right? I could do that and I could apply wilderness skills to the way people live in life. Now I get hired to travel and work with corporations where I'm showing them how to use their, their eyesight to find targets in the field. And they're like, well, what is this all about? You know, like, oh, are we doing this thing that hunters do? I'm like, you recognize that you can apply the same formula concept to finding businesses that you could use to sell your products and whatnot. And suddenly they're like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest training, you know, ever. But it's because it's that universal that, you know, is so widely understood. So here's my advice to you as terms of finding a mentor. 
if you find someone who embodies what you're looking for, you know, follow them a little bit closely and, and follow them for a while. But then also don't, don't miss out on the opportunity to hold a conversation with someone who might not be like you because you never know what that person might be able to bring to your life. I mean, you might have an unlikely mentor. You might have a mentor who has such profound influence on your life that you don't realize that they're a mentor until they're gone. Mm -hmm. My sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Theriel, she passed away when I was in grad school. And I remember going to her funeral and I remember, I'm sorry, going to her wake. And I remember standing at her coffin and I was like crying hysterically. And she was probably the reason why, one of the reasons why I became a teacher because she inspired me at a young age, the way she taught, she educated. So don't ever pass up the opportunity to hold a conversation with someone. You know how many conversations we miss out on every single day because we are too involved in being in this and not talking to the person on the bus that we're on or on the, the you know, sitting next to you on a plane. You never know. And all it takes is a little bit of effort and energy to find out who someone is, what they do. You never know who you're going to talk to who might give you an opportunity or show you a way of living your life. So good. Yes, sir. And a follow-up question. You mentioned how you did all you like you did all the schooling, you had all the requirements to become a principal, and you said that you didn't want to do that. How did that how did it affect you? You spent all this time and all this effort to become something, and once you finally were able to get it, you were like, this isn't what I truly want. Okay. <clears throat> How did it affect me? Well, when you become a high school principal, your pay raise goes through the roof. Uh, you go from topping out at maybe a hundred thousand dollars a year as a as a teacher to making anywhere from one hundred twenty five thousand to one hundred fifty thousand. And if you're on the Gold Coast in Connecticut, maybe close to two hundred thousand dollars. So financially, that affected me. But life isn't just about money. Okay, and you need money to survive, but money isn't everything. Too much, too little, those are problems, but you can get by and you can be rich in other ways. And I know it sounds cheesy and cliche, but I was rich in my satisfaction because in life, you can have job satisfaction, you can have a lot of time, you can have a lot of money, but you can't usually have all three, okay? So now I had a lot of job satisfaction and I had a lot of time. As a principal, you don't get the summer, you're working throughout the year, you might have 10 or 20 days off in the year versus the teacher who has months. Now, <clears throat> how else did it affect me aside from money? Because money's not everything. Well, I had to have a real conversation with my parents. But as a man, we should not shy away from conversation, especially someone who fancies himself as a very capable individual, right? I know that I can shoot a pistol. I can shoot a rifle. I can defend myself. I know I can survive in the great outdoors. I can do a lot of things that most people would say that's really scary. Some people are scared of having conversations with their elders, and there's no reason to have that fear. So how did that affect me? I had to potentially disappoint my parents, but I also took it as an opportunity to take that setback, which if you want to view it as a setback, that's fine. But I knew that I had to be drawn back to be shot forward, just like a bow and arrow. And that was a great opportunity for me to expand what I did as a writer and really get even more job satisfaction and whatnot. Now, how long did that take for me to get over it? Almost instantly. Because yes, I knew that I did a whole bunch of coursework and I did all this training and I have all these credits, but they weren't gonna lead up to a piece of paper at the end that said a certificate. 
but it doesn't mean that that education was worth nothing. In fact, one of the reasons why we're successful here at Fieldcraft and I'm able to sell out classes here is because I'm applying those lessons I learned in process of becoming an administrator and a teacher to a very unique classroom setting. So it's not a waste. And how you view your setback is really a matter of perspective. And you can either look negative or positive in life or a combination of the two. I am always looking for the positive. And I say, you know what? Guess what? I didn't become a school administrator, but I'm using those skill sets now in a different environment, different atmosphere. And I am bringing a lot of people success, happiness, uh, satisfaction that they're, they're training in something that they've always wanted to. So do not let your setbacks drag you down for a long time. If anything, drop them and move on to the next challenge. For sure. So good. Thank you so much. That was greatly helpful. So good. So good. I was just on a podcast as a guest right before we jumped on uh, on this. And, and uh, the host was talking about the fact that her daughter had taken on an internship and had always, you know, grown up knowing she was going to be a baker and then she was going to go into the restaurant industry. And um, it was the the thing she was most excited about. And then she ended up taking on uh, a multi-week internship and she went in and she said, cool, baking sounds fun as a hobby. There's no way I'm going to do this anymore. Right. And it's, that's not time wasted, man. No. That's information. That's great knowledge to have. I'm going, okay, cool. The, I don't have to have that lingering back here. I took some good things from that and I'm going to go ahead and move over here. That's just as valuable to know about yourself. So yeah, absolutely good. I know we have three more hands up. Are you okay on time, Kev? I want to make sure you're good. Awesome. I am here until five o'clock at night if you want me here. So let's just keep going, guys. You're awesome, brother. Thank you. Parker, go ahead, sir. Out there in California. IA. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for coming on here, sir. Uh, I, I, I had this question because when you mentioned podcasting, I'm a fellow podcaster. I have over 40 episodes on my podcast. Excellent. And um, one of the things that I've been navigating is, uh, and it's my question for you, is in the world we live in today where the polarized content wins within the algorithm because people want to either heavily agree or heavily disagree, how do you go about maintaining nuance and authenticity in the episodes and the content you create? Mm. The key word is integrity, right? Key word is absolutely uh, integrity. And here's a, here are a couple things about integrity. Before a submarine goes underwater, the ship's captain will say, does the ship have integrity? And I want you to think about this one. On a submarine, I don't know if there are portholes. I'm not a, I'm not a mariner. I can't tell you that. But, you know, they want to make sure that anything that needs to be closed is closed because as I mentioned earlier, it's so easy to do something and let it become habit, right? What we repeatedly do. So the ship's captain will say, does the ship have integrity? Because let's pretend that you have one open door or one open port on a ship and now it goes underwater. And when it goes underwater with increased pressure, that single open vent door, whatever it may be, can destroy the ship. It can destroy it because there's no integrity. There's, you're, not, you're not making sure that your, your statements are watertight. You're not making sure that the ship is watertight. So as a podcaster, it's very easy to be yourself. And there are people out there when they jump on a podcast, they get their radio voice or they get their podcast voice. And they say things that maybe they have to say because of, say, advertisements or whatever. 
But I will make it a point, even in the advertisements that go against the, maybe like what I believe in, right? I'll say, this product will do this, right? And I won't say, I use it all the time, because that would not be an honest statement. And honesty is so incredibly important. And I believe in the expression that a man is only as good as his word. I won't sell out just because someone is paying my company a paycheck. I'm at the end of the day, there's me, there's my company. Okay. I have to be true to myself. And for example, there's a company that I've been friends with. And I say friends because we don't have a business relationship. Like they send me gear to use and I use it, but I've known them for almost two decades now. And through my company, I have access to a lot of different backpacks, but I'm like, look, I will never be seen using another backpack because I've had dinner at the owner's house. I've I've spent nights in that, that guest room of the owner and then the previous owner. Like, I will not do that because that's being disloyal as a friend. And something that's so important is that you have loyalty to yourself as a podcaster, that you're not saying things just for the sake of ratings, because then people will say that person is a sellout. So you need to find yourself and when you find yourself, stay true to yourself, have integrity, because people will call you out if you are quick to flip on a friend or quick to, to, to turn and run the minute that things get different, difficult. Okay. So it's really important that when you present yourself, no matter where you are, you are true to yourself. Like another example. Okay. I, I could go on for hours, but I've told people, I always carry a Swiss army knife in my right front pocket. I always carry a, a uh, lighter in my left front pocket for teaching and whatnot. And I, I've said to people, I'm like, find me without these, hold me accountable. And if you ever find me without them, then maybe I'll buy you a cup of coffee or something. But guess what? You're probably going to end up buying your own cup because I always have them. Eventually, you're going to find out that you will start living by the word, right? Living by the word that you put out there in your your profession. And remember this, back in the day, there was a Chinese philosopher named Lao Tzu. And he said, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your legacy. So just as, just as we are so, we have to stay so true to ourselves, um, And even that smallest little porthole, right, could sink the ship. We might not recognize it in the moment. But realize thoughts, words, uh, deeds, destiny, okay, it adds up over time. So you can think time this way as a direct correlation to death that way. So hopefully that, that answers your question. What do you think, Parker? Man, thank you so much. That, that was a, that's great. Uh, and it's kind of the conclusion I had come to as well when playing with the thought. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Well done. Yeah. I mean, what he's talking about right there, you're listening to the code in real time, guys. You're listening to the code that you guys sign, that Bushido code that you guys sign. When you come into Apogee, I mean, you're listening to that played out in real time. You're listening to that in practical terms. I mean, and we've talked about that quote from Lao Tzu. I mean, that that's it. Like you're listening to that in real time. So dang good. Carmine, go ahead, sir. I like thank you for coming on today. And I had a question for you. You were talking about your purple belt in jujitsu, and I was wondering if you had any big takeaways from jujitsu and how jujitsu has helped you in your life. 
Mm. All right. So you guys are going to love this one. Okay. I mentioned integrity, you know, and I wrote out that word because here, here's another little bit of advice, right? Always, always have notes, always have notes. Um, here's another quote you're going to love. Uh, the faintest ink is better than the strongest memory. Well, as I was writing out my notes today and I wrote down that word integrity, there's a word that I saw inside of the word integrity and that word is grit. Well, in jujitsu, there's no doubt about it that you feel pressure. All right. Some people have such good pressure when they play their top game that I've seen people get submitted with just top pressure and no submissions. Now, personally, I'm an arm attacker. I've always been an arm attacker. I love the flow drill of Americana, straight arm bar, Kimura, wrist locks. Like I could flow and flow and flow with, with arm attacks all day. One of the greatest takeaways I have from training, whether it's jujitsu Filipino martial arts, where I have guys swinging rattan sticks at me, or I've got a training blade that's coming in at any of my vitals. One of the greatest takeaways is that that training provides grit, G-R-I-T. And grit is something that it's impossible to purchase at a store and you can only develop it. So it's funny when I used to be a teacher and I'd have people say, oh, we have so much work to do. And I'm like, you think this is work? You think this is difficult? And I was always the one that would ask questions, right? I believe that knowledge is, is from the questions you ask and not the statements you make. So I would let people, I'd walk them into the answer. And I'd say, you think this is difficult? You know what's difficult is when my training partner, Big Mike, who's 6'2", 285 pounds and a corrections officer is on top of me, crushing me. Guess what? That makes me realize that work isn't work. When I used to drive up to the survival school on the northern border, I would see people working in the hay fields, throwing bundles of hay in the fields where it's 10 degrees warmer, and they are in 110 degrees, 120 degrees. That's work. Pushing a pen on a piece of paper to me was not difficult. It was a task. So one of the greatest takeaways I will tell you that you can discover from training and what is difficult, whether it's weightlifting, running, doing something that really makes you say, this is difficult. Like you might hate it, but you don't have to love it to do it. Just recognize that it makes you stronger. And again, never shy away from strength. Don't take that escalator, take the stairs. So always, always adopt strength whenever you can, because it makes you appreciate when other people are saying, this is really difficult. You can just smile. You can smile and say, you think this is difficult. Oh, you have not seen difficult. When you're freezing in a snow shelter, a Quincy or a snow trench, and people are like, it's so cold. You can just smile and say, you think this is cold. Have you ever wiped your butt with snow? I have. Um, I know you guys, you guys stayed in for this, awesome. so you get a little extra. That's um, awesome. But but let's put it this way. Like, Doing difficult things makes you appreciate life and you realize that life isn't so difficult after all. Mm -hmm. I think, Carmine. Thank you, sir. That was an amazing answer. You got it, buddy. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, uh, what does Mark say? Uh, Mark Bell always says, strength is never a weakness. Weakness is never strength. Right? And uh, I mean, full on. And I'm going to ask Mark now if he's ever wiped his butt with snow. <laughs> Would not be surprised if the answer is yes, just because that's who he is. But... I like that. Mr. Greenfield, what's happening, sir? Not much. Um, 
thank you for coming on today, sir. You've been an amazing manager to listen to. And my question to you is as follows. What are the top skills to know when in the wilderness and more so what are the top skills when it comes to shelter, water, fire, and food? Okay. Hmm. So top skill, critical thinking right off the bat. Okay. Every single class starts with a mindset discussion and you need to learn how to be resourceful instead of just looking for all the resources in the world. Okay. Native Americans used to call it the seeing eye or the knowing eye. So if we see a branch that looks like this, okay, I can easily take that branch and I can lop it off. And now I have a hook that I can use to drag logs into the fire. So that's an example of being resourceful instead of having a million resources. Would I like to have the long metal uh, fireplace poker? Absolutely, but I don't need it because I've got this up here. So what I would say is understand how to think, again, not what to think. The other thing is, uh, as far as like the, the skill sets, in my entry-level class, uh, for anyone that's starting, I always say we start off with very little equipment because you have to strike the balance between what is practical, okay, and you know what you can get by with with just skill set. So I can push a four inch knife into the role of a chopping tool, but it's not what I want. So what does that make me do? It makes me want to go out there and get a, a folding saw or maybe a, a hatchet or a machete or whatever. So again, learn to think because that's so much of what we do here at the company. Uh, I can give you a length of paracord. But at the end of the day, it's just cordage if you don't know how to tie it into a dozen knots or two dozen knots or whatever. And by the way, even that skill set teaches you to realize like, okay, I can tie lots or I can tie very specific knots. Okay. And the specific knots are going to be used for building your shelter, uh, lashing a tripod together, tying your boots on, okay, as opposed to just the knot that you think will work for everything. So as far as all the other aspects of that question, uh, there are so many skills that you need to know, but to keep it very simple, and I know I, I want to respect everyone's time, uh, look at the rule of threes, okay? The human body needs oxygenated blood going through its system, okay? We can live approximately three minutes without air before we start suffering brain damage, irreparable da brain damage. So learn first aid skills, okay? As an homage to my dad, who's a doctor, my dad said, carry medical gear, carry basics. And now I love working for a company where we're big on teaching people to carry tourniquets on them to stop blood loss from arms and legs since that's so common in car accidents. After that, learn to dress appropriately since most of the time, if you have to spend an emergency night outdoors, you're just gonna have the clothes on your body. So understand that you can survive about three hours exposed to the elements without good clothing. Well, if you carry some basics on you, even a tarp, and you carry chemical hand warmers, now you can create an artificial environment that's heated inside of an environment. As long as you can trap that heat in, seal that heat in, you can survive a very long time in a tarp with just hand warmers. Now, you can live about three days without water. Well, last time I checked, you can carry a filtration water bottle like a Grail or a Sawyer Squeeze anywhere in the world. There's no law against it. I carry one on an airplane all the time, but you can also carry tablets. For collecting water, you can use Reynolds oven bags. Okay, they're inexpensive, they're heat resistant, durable as all heck. Um, I would recommend look at how you can find water, collect water, treat water, and carry water. Life straw is another good one, yes. Um, then the last thing is food, okay? And there are many ways you can learn how uh, to harness food from, from the land, collect food from the land. Edible medicinal plants, that goes right to Marty's background, right? What I learned from Marty. 
Uh, I'm a fisherman. I am a hunter. I really enjoy learning those skill sets. And you can learn a lot about yourself in the process of getting rained on while you're enjoying a good time fishing. And if you're looking to learn from some of the best in the world, look at the people who do it for a living, the commercial fishermen, the commercial trappers, the people that are out there all the time, because they are not just living the survival lifestyle. They're living the true bushcraft or fieldcraft lifestyle where there's not always the sense of urgency. It's just part of everyday life. Um, so my advice to you is take a look at the people who are doing it for real. And I'm pretty sure you're going to find the answers you're looking for. Thank you, sir. Mr. Greenfield, when you and your brother and you guys, when you guys did kind of that rite of passage, I know you guys had, um, you know, there was like this rite of passage sort of deal where you guys were out in the wilderness, right? Did you, what was that experience like in relation to what uh, Mr. Estrella was just talking about? Were you guys out there for a couple of days? What did that look like? Um, so that was technically it was before days, but I'm not allowed to talk about a lot of it, but sure. basically it was like four days. Two of them were alone. Two of them were with Got it. other people doing the rite of passage. Got it. Very cool. And do you feel like you were equipped and had a little bit of a background knowledge and you were equipped where you would have liked to have been? Okay. A little bit of so-so face, a little bit of hardship in there too. Cool. No, yeah. Very cool. Very cool, sir. I know you're not allowed to talk about Fight Club, but that's cool. I was just, uh, I was interested in knowing that you'd had that experience. So that's great. Yeah. Love to see that. Kevin, man, this is fun. Um, we could talk to you. I, I'm, I'm hopeful you'll be able to come back at some point too, man, if you would be willing to do so. Um, and I know we've got a lot of things that we're looking at as far as Apogee and, and field craft crossover and all that kind of stuff, which is great, man. I, I'm, I'm thankful that we're going to be continuing the conversation. Um, but I'm more thankful of just who you are and the way you show up in the world, the way you're living with integrity, the way you're keeping your, um, you know, the, the legacies living on from those people who have been your North star, um, you know, for every one of these guys, that's our goal for these guys is they get to connect with people who are living that kind of code. Um, and there's far too few. So when we have a good man that is doing that, man, I just, I want to make sure that that respect is, is passed on, man, because we truly have that for you, brother, for sure. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you having me on and understand that I'm a lifelong educator, just as I am a lifelong student. So if there's any time you need me to come on, this is absolutely my wheelhouse. I'll be happy to join you guys whenever and in any capacity. So awesome, man. So we, so this does go out to a, a good sizable audience too, man. So I want to make sure we do the, we do the, uh, the honor of where to follow, where to, to listen, you know, find the book, um, the podcast. Like I want to make sure we're putting all that out there so people can check stuff out. So where would you have people go? Sure. So, uh, the first thing I'll say is go to fieldcraftsurvival.com. That's our main website. And on there, I believe there are links to our blog, uh, there should be links to, you know, contact, you know, Kevin under the about me, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But if you want to reach out to me directly, you can use Estella, E-S-T-E-L-A at fieldcraftsurvival.com. That's my direct email. I reply to every single email. Um, if you want to take a look at what we're doing on social media, it's at fieldcraftsurvival on Instagram. My personal page on Instagram is at Estella Wild Ed, uh, E-S-T-E-L-A. W-I-L-D-E-D, -E that was short for Estella Wilderness Education, my old company. That same handle is where I am on Twitter. I'm getting more and more active out there. The book can be found on Amazon. It can be found in Barnes & Noble in the sports section, 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods. Uh, it can be found on the Fieldcraft website. You can take a look at all the reviews on there. 
and take a look at the other men and women who threw their name on the back cover of the book and on the inside recommendations. And you'll see even more sources of inspiration through those folks. Um, our podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everything. Bottom line, if you guys type in Estella, writer, or Fieldcraft Survival, you know, you'll, you're going to find something on YouTube, Instagram. We're, we're all over. That's, that's Mike Glover all, all day, right? Like every single platform we could possibly be on, we're there. So never hesitate to reach out to me, guys. Um, you will get an honest answer. I'm not here to direct you in any other way other than a way that's going to make you a better version of yourself. And, you know, someday, hopefully you'll, you know, aspire to greatness. You're already on your way and hopefully you'll achieve that. Mm, so good, my friend. So good. I'm going to take these guys through a debrief and I'm going to reach out to you afterwards, man. Cause I know we got some, uh, you know, some catching up to do eventually when I get to that other side of the state too, man, but so grateful for you, brother. We are here for you in all ways. Yeah. My pleasure guys. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.